Hey y'all, it's that time of the week where we dive into all the things that made the headlines in Houston this week, and maybe some stories that should have gotten more attention. Joining me today are producer Carleon Jones and politics contributor Evan Mintz. It's Friday, February 24th, 2023. I'm Dina Kispe, and here's what Houston's talking about today. Evan, Carly, thank y'all so much for joining me to talk about news this week. Hey, good morning. Good to be here. Nice. Evan, how about you kick it off for us? What was the biggest story this week? I think the biggest story this week is that Elon Musk is going, going, back, back to Cali, Cali. (laughs) (laughs) Just this week, Tesla announced that it is going to be basing its engineering headquarters in California. And this comes just a little less than three years after they said, Mm -hmm. actually, they're moving to Texas. Mm -hmm. So what Mm -hmm. is it? Oh, is their headquarters in Texas, but their engineering headquarters is in California? Like, what's going on here? I saw Mm -hmm. someone on social media refer to this as trying to take two dates to the prom. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) You know, a little bit of both. But really, Mm -hmm. I think this is one of those things where you get a lot of sizzle from Musk. But, you know, the stake is sometimes a little bit more plain than you think. And so a lot of the rhetoric about moving to Texas or this or that kind of comes crashing down when you reflect on the reality of what it takes to run a massive high tech corporation. And it requires engineers and it requires highly educated workforce. And if you just look at the quality of universities in California versus those in Texas, we can't compete. We're not there. We're not up to it. Yeah. You know, and we have uh, leaders in the state who really have failed to invest in higher education mm-hmm. and really failed to put the money and resources and support behind these institutions that will let the state grow and become a leader in technology for the 21st century. Now, to their credit, I'm going to use this as a little tangent to point out that <laughs> uh, Texas Tech and the University of Houston are asking each for a $1 billion endowment from the state. And it looks like that's kind of likely to happen because neither of those schools, which are really trying to climb the ranks, have access to the permanent university fund that goes to the University of Texas and Texas A&M. Hmm. But big picture, if you're looking at, say, U.S. News and World Report's top 10 uh, public universities, Texas has one. California uh-huh. has let, – let me just go through and count here. Uh, yeah. One – Two, uh, da, na, 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 three, four, five, six. Wow. Six in the top Ooh, 10 are wow. in California. And, wow. you know, you can point to great private little universities. You can point to Rice University. Not a lot of people yeah. at Rice. I went to Rice. I'm a big fan. It's small. Yeah. You need mm-hmm. big research institutions to make those gears of the economy churn. And we're mm-hmm. just not there. So unless we want to see a whole lot of sizzle around tech, but no stake, We need to start (laughs) investing in our universities. That's so true. I'm really curious to see how that's going to impact Austin. Like, is that going to change the housing market there? Is it going to go back to the weird little Austin that we knew? Or is it kind of too late to go backwards? I think it's too late. I mean, got people who already live there. The problem already exists. Unless you have a massive crash in the tech sector. I think Austin's uh, solution is going to involve building more housing, not kind of hoping that things go poorly. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to imagine that like the prestige of having headquarters 
of having the major workforce saying like, well, actually, we're not 100% moving to Texas, we're still in California, should be a real Mm -hmm. shock to uh, Texas leaders who presumed that our low taxes, low services model, which by the way, unless you're rich, isn't really that low taxes, Mm -hmm. uh, isn't something that's a silver bullet for getting tech companies to move here. And that when you've yeah. got a company that's really led by a big personality like Musk, he's going to put on a little show to make headlines. But at the end of the day, uh, like the fundamentals of economics and business management are what they are. And mm-hmm. if you're looking for smart people to work for you, it's a lot easier to get them in California. Mm. Yeah. I'm curious how, what kind of message this sends to all future big tech companies that, you know, maybe have their eye on Texas because, mm-hmm. oh, cheap taxes, big land, et cetera. And they probably maybe are like, hey, if Elon's not is leaving, this says something yeah. huge. Let's not even touch mm-hmm. Texas anymore. Yeah. No, we keep uh, saying that we're going to compete with California. But I think in the ways that matter, uh, we're really not. Like, we're not going mm-hmm. head-to-head with California. Our big advantage is housing is affordable. And mm-hmm. California is actually passing some significant statewide legislation to try to compel uh, local jurisdictions to build more housing, build more affordable housing. Uh, mm-hmm. And in Texas, uh, we're not stepping up where we need to step up. We're not really putting our money behind higher education, let alone K through 12. You know, We're not making the state something that looks appealing to the workers who want to move here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as every year goes by that we fail to invest in the future, uh, we're going to find ourselves slipping. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Ooh, Elon making moves. My eye is on him. We'll see what he does. (laughs) Carly, what about you? What was your biggest story this week? Mattress Mac, he will not let these Harris County elections go. This man Mm -hmm. has launched a whole website to try to collect evidence of voter disenfranchisement from the November 2022 elections. And this is on top of him already filing a lawsuit last week, accusing Harris County Elections Administrator's uh, office of refusing to turn over public records related to the election, right? Mm -hmm. There's been Republican lawmakers like Greg Abbott, of course, and Dan Patrick, who have like also called for a Harris County redo of this election based on claims of like ballot paper shortages and things like that. But they haven't provided like any evidence of this surprise surprise um (laughs) so this website that mr mac is created uh, is called hard to vote and it has this message across it Mm. that says do you believe you were denied the opportunity to vote in the november 2022 election I've heard reports of machines that didn't work, ballot shortages, voting locations suddenly closing, and if you've experienced difficulties or left felt unjustly treated, we want to hear your story. Sounds like a commercial, right? <laughs> Real mattress Mac fashion. True and Mac so, fashion, yeah. <laughs> yes. And so if you get on this website, mm. you can fill out a form, you can explain your experience, and they might even put you on a commercial for this. Of course. <laughs> This was actually my big story too. It's it's huge because, like, to me personally, I feel like he has a lot of influence, and mm-hmm. a lot of people look to him as a community leader, regardless yeah. of how ridiculous sometimes he can be, especially with his gambling and his, the things mm-hmm. that he says and his just his, his persona. But it makes me think, like, hey, he's maybe speaking for a wider audience that comes to him, like, actually, and tells him, mm-hmm. hey. 
this is what I feel. Can you do something about it? And he truly feels for the people in the communities that go to him. Yeah, I, I, I view him as someone who's trying to uh, screw over the people of Houston because we voted. You know, we had an election Uh, and Mm -hmm. the the candidate who he endorsed, who he poured a couple hundred thousand dollars into lost. She lost and she didn't lose by a small amount. She lost by 18,000 votes. You know, their complaint is that over a couple of hours on Election Day, there were a few locations where people couldn't vote because of technical problems. Now, here's an interesting thing uh, about voting in Houston. You can vote anywhere. If one location Mm -hmm. is having trouble, you can go to another one right down the block. So are they going to actually find 18,000 people who were 100% going to vote Republican and no Democrats during this like couple hour period on election day where there's some trouble. Like This is utter BS. And I find mm-hmm. it to be an insult to democracy and an insult to Harris County that this is happening. And these people mm-hmm. need to go back to uh, whatever their jobs are and focus on the reality of their lives and leave the rest of us alone. Now, there were problems in this election cycle. There were problems in the last one and the one before that and the one before that. I mean, Stan Stanner, the Republican who used to run Harris County elections, was famous for fuck ups. I'm sorry. He Mm -hmm. was famous for screw. (laughs) No, that's so true. Like the most (laughs) narrow race, the most closest race was decided by 449 votes. So are they going to find 449 people who are 100 percent going to vote for straight ticket Republicans And no Democrats during this period of time. The last time you had a a lawsuit like this was about Hubert Vaux. And Hubert Vaux, when he was running for state rep, and that uh, race was decided by like a dozen votes. It was incredibly narrow. And even Mm -hmm. then, they couldn't find any problem. But back then, Republicans were saying the same thing. Oh, it's voter fraud. Oh, people voted who shouldn't have voted. No, that didn't happen. And now they're saying, oh, well, Mm -hmm. it's the opposite. People who should have voted weren't able to cast their ballots. Suddenly, Republicans are all about systemic discrimination. I thought mm-hmm. they didn't believe in that kind of thing. No, this mm-hmm. is them throwing spaghetti at the wall, doing the exact same type of stuff that Trump did in 2020 because they hate yeah. America. They hate us and they want themselves to get power. I am so angry about this. Here's my little poem about everything going on. Mattress Mac is a hack. He needs to go back <laughs> to just selling low quality furniture and screwing over people with bad prices. That's what he needs to do. It's ridiculous. It really is ridiculous to, first of all, this this happened months ago. There hasn't been any proof to show anything. Like, and just like you said, every election that we have, there's going to be something that goes wrong. Like, that's just the given of elections is that there's going to, somebody's going to run out of some paper. Somebody's going to run out of this or that. But it's like, at the end of the day, if they wanted to vote, they could have went to another station, probably not that far from where they were, to vote. They're really close to one another. Yeah. Well, and the Republicans hurt themselves. They shot themselves in the foot because they kept telling people, don't do your mail-in ballots. Don't do early voting. Just vote on Election mm-hmm. Day. Right. You know what I did? Mm-hmm. I went on the first day of Election Day to the voting location closest to me. It was a bit of a long line. So I went a few days mm-hmm. later. It was a bit of a long line. And then I went on mm-hmm. a third time. I was like, oh, OK, line's shorter now. I'll go vote. None of this is ideal. Mm-hmm. We should have a better system. We should be trying to get mm-hmm. at the problems. But I don't hear any Republican solutions. I don't hear any Mm -hmm. answers from them to make all of this work better. You know, it's Mm -hmm. that they're just being sore losers in all of this. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe next time they should just try to run better campaigns. Maybe next time they should uh, try to explain to uh, people who aren't Republicans why they should vote for them. At no point did I hear Mueller really trying to reach out to Democrats. 
you know, to do the sort of stuff that mm-hmm. Ed Emmett used to do, where he would say, oh, yeah, you know, this uh, Abbott thing, I don't agree with it. Dan Patrick, I'm not voting for him. All that Republican Trump stuff, eh, I'm not part of that. Just naturally, Ed mm-hmm. Emmett would push them aside and really stood out as someone who was a moderate, who Democrats could vote for without worrying that they're endorsing the larger party. But at no point did you really see these Harris County Republicans try to distinguish themselves from the national brand. They ran a bad campaign. And you can see Republicans win in blue areas. Look at the former governor of Massachusetts. Look at the former governor of Maryland. They stood Mm -hmm. out. They distinguished themselves from the larger party. And they basically made a pitch of, I can be a counterbalance to the Democratic majority. And people Mm -hmm. bought that. And people voted for it. At no point did Republicans make that pitch in Harris County. Mm Mm-hmm. And they yeah. lost, and now they're mad about it. Now they're pissy about it because yeah. they don't because they don't uh, listen to the larger world. They don't read newspapers. They just listen to lies on Fox News, telling them what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, when I saw this, I was like, "Why is he like?" First of all, like, what do you know? <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, "What do you actually know about elections?" You know, and then the fact that he wouldn't let it go just made me think like. Is there nothing else that you can go gamble? Like there's nowhere else you can throw your money towards? <laughs> Houston needs a higher quality of like local celebrity. But like <laughs> I feel like we're all kind of suckers for anyone who gives us the slightest bit of attention. Like and I think this is a Texas phenomenon too. It's like, oh, they, they put something in the shape of Texas. Like, ooh, they like us. Like, oh, they say they're their hometown <laughs> Texas. Like, oh, I like that. You know, what is it that Mattress Mac does? For Houston, like what is his level of philanthropic giving? I'm sure there's something. I'm sure there's stuff he's done, but it seems like he makes the headlines for gambling and wearing Astros hats, not significant giving to the institutions that Houston needs to support our communities. Yeah. Yeah. That was we're we're all I see very passionate about this one. (laughs) That's why it was my biggest story, Carly, because I was like, you when I saw that, I was like, come on, Mattress (laughs) Mac, my dude. (laughs) I left it off my list because I don't even want to give him attention. Fair. Fair. Yeah, you're right. Maybe just ignore it and it'll go away. (laughs) I hope so. And I hope that the, the litigation doesn't go anywhere dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely keep an eye on that. Evan, what was your overlooked story? Something that should have got more attention. My overlooked story for this week is news that Houston is expecting new floodplain maps. There's Mm. a great article in the Houston Chronicle on this topic by Jen Rice, uh, who I think Mm -hmm. is one of the best reporters over there. And it's about how we are finally going to get a more accurate picture of flooding risk in our city. And this isn't just mm-hmm. sort of the flooding that you expect from rainfall, but the flooding that happens when you get sewer systems backed up and stormwater systems can't accommodate all the water flowing and things start to pour out of sewers and pour out of bios into neighborhoods that otherwise would not flood. Mm-hmm. And this is a critical thing in Houston because you get these surprise floods and you yeah. don't know where it's going to happen. And we build our homes and we build mm-hmm. our uh, commercial centers in areas where we presume uh, that it's going to be safe. But what if it's not? We need an accurate yeah. picture, not just to keep people safe when they are buying homes, give them full information, but also so that we know where to build that next generation of infrastructure, where we should be putting our money. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is something that I feel like that we have been willingly blind to as a city for too long. I mean, we built entire neighborhoods in the flood pools behind attics and Parker dams. It was a fight in the legislature to try to uh, compel landlords to disclose whether or not apartments had flooded. They wanted to be able to keep Mm. it secret. 
I heard yeah. this great story about a neighborhood uh, down near Galveston, towards the coast, uh, where the people who lived there put up this big post and had a line on it that said, like, this is where it flooded during Ike. This is where it flooded during Harvey, just like the level of water. And the local oh, wow. real estate agents were like, God, please take this down. We can't sell any homes now. <laughs> and the people who lived there, like, took a little bit of pride in it. Like, this is what we have to put up with. We're still here. But you know, we right, have to decide right. what's more important. Is it protecting people? Is it knowing what dangers loom for us with each dark cloud? Or is it just mm -hmm. making life easy for developers and real estate agents? I mean, Houston yeah. is a place where we make money from the ground. And I don't just mean oil and gas. I mean real estate. I mean selling land. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. we have to uh, be certain that we're not putting profits ahead of people. And so I'm so happy that we're going to be getting these new flood maps. I think it's going to be something that is critical to the long-term safety of our region. Yeah, 100%. Because those the flash floods are scary. I've been in one, and I drive a tiny little beetle. And so I was like, oh, my God, this my beetle's going to drown. Like, I literally had to pull off to the side of the road because it just comes without warning. You don't even realize that you're in an area that could flood. Yeah. And so I think this is really going to be helpful to everyone. And safety first, always, in my opinion. I mean, I'm not about making the developers' lives easier because it's like at the end of the day, it's our lives. We're the ones buying these homes, building our families, having our kids mm -hmm. in these homes. And that comes first. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think that. We don't want housing to get too expensive here. That's one big advantage that we have is that people can afford their homes. But the regulations we do have should be laser focused on safety. And we can kind of put off to the side anything else that's just kind of about aesthetics, setback requirements, parking minimums, you know, other uh, aesthetic oriented design codes. We can kind of ignore some of that stuff. But if it's make sure the home doesn't flood, you have to build it up. You have to provide a green space for a flood water detention. Like that seems very important. One of the things that I always uh, get a kick out of is either flying over or driving through new developments like out towards Katy, Bridgeland, for example. Mm. Oh, mm -hmm. It's got all these beautiful bridges over these water yeah. features. It's so nice and fancy. Those water features are built as stormwater detention. To hold the water when it floods. Like, that's why all these new developments have these pretty water features, because the water's got to go somewhere. It looks so fancy and bougie, it too. Looks so, <laughs> I know. Like, no, this is the, like, otherwise we would flood pond. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, if they stuck that out there, I wouldn't be mad, because those bridges are nice. So go for yeah. it. <laughs> Carly, what about you? What should have gotten more attention this week? So my overlooked story is that Texas has a shortage on mental health oh, care yeah. professionals and it's getting worse and worse and worse yeah. by the day. So back in 2016, we had more than 80% of our counties that were designated as mental health professional shortage areas. So there's not enough therapists going around. There's not enough therapists per, per, per people. Basically, yeah, yeah. So like back then... It was said, which is kind of like interesting because Evan kind of brought this up earlier, is that the Texas colleges weren't producing enough graduates to meet the demand of professionals that we needed for um, like therapists and things like that. Um, now, seven years later, it's way worse. We are ranked dead last when it comes to access for children's mental health. 33rd for adult mental health. Now, 98% of Texas counties are designated as mental health professional shortage areas. Like, 
Those stats are crazy. Literally, there's people who have to wait six to seven months just to be seen. Imagine that. Like, yeah, yeah. This yeah. was this was on my my list too. It's my my friend is a therapist, and I when I read this story, I quickly texted her and I was like, "What's going on? Can you give me like a yeah. little hint?" Because I feel like I was lucky enough to find my therapist. Knowing that a lot of my friends get on wait lists or they're just, you know, therapists aren't taking any more patients on. It's mm-hmm. a real crisis. And I feel like it's not just us. While it's really bad in Houston, across mm-hmm. the board in the country, we're, we're seeing this shortage. And as gun violence increases and as we try to figure out life post-pandemic while people are still getting COVID and all the anxiety that comes with that, I don't know what the solution is. I think it's going to be something really big, be it from like legislation that we have to come come out with or something to make mm-hmm. it easier for people to have access to mental health resources. Yeah, I, absolutely. And, you know, my I, I have to give a shout out. My wife is a psychologist and she's published a book called Has Your Child mm-hmm. Been Traumatized? How to Know and What to Do to Promote Healing and Recovery. Uh, And it is kind of shocking to see the lack of access that we have, particularly for children, uh, Mm. to get mental health care. Because, you know, once you're an adult, it's hard to change who you are. Like you're kind of baked in your ways. You really have to want to change. You've really got to hit rock Mm -hmm. bottom to go through that kind of transformation. But kids change who they are, you know, six, seven, eight times before they're 25. Like your personality changes just naturally. You're still kind Mm of hot clay and you can be molded in the right direction with help. And you see efforts by the state to say, try to get telehealth in schools. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of got to think in terms of the market. If you want more people to do something, you got to pay them more money. You got to mm-hmm. put the money mm-hmm. there. And our school districts are already struggling for cash. Like yeah. HISDs yeah. already have to make some significant budget cuts. Yeah. So if we can't you know, afford and pay for those top level teachers, then things that are viewed as kind of secondary, like mental health services, are going to suffer. And I think Mm -hmm. that's something we don't want to ignore, not only because it helps these kids uh, become healthy little Texans, uh, but also because there's a critical role, mental health, in avoiding uh, criminal justice outcomes and keeping people out Mm -hmm. of the criminal justice system. And when people have trauma, when people have trauma responses, often comes out as violence. They don't know how to Mm -hmm. handle stressful situations. Their bodies start telling them fight or flight, uh, and they do just that. And if you can get them treatment early on, then they'll learn how to handle these stressful situations, how to walk away. So that moment where someone insults you, someone insults your girl, you're in a situation that is incredibly stressful, like you don't reach for a gun, you don't throw a punch, Mm -hmm. You're able to take a few deep breaths, realize your life is better than this, and walk away from it. Like that is an incredible coping skill that I think more people need. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's something that we need to get uh, to kids who need it the most. Yeah. yeah. And I just feel like this is really dangerous to have going on since there are so many people that are put on this wait list. And first of all, for a lot of people, it takes a while before they even decide to reach out for therapy for like that's just right. right there. So once they've made that step to go reach out to get therapy, being put on a rate wait list for months and months at a time and not being seen, like you don't know if somebody's ready to just kind of like explode at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it is super it, it's discouraging honestly, yeah. like to to see that we're that bad off in 
the idea of mental health and the pandemic didn't help at all for a lot of people. So made it this worse. is just, yeah. Yeah. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see if we can bring some joy to our listeners. <laughs> Evan, what is making you happy this week? Well, I'm looking at headlines all the way from London that have made me very oh. happy. Okay. It's a trial of a four-day work week for businesses in Britain, the biggest of its kind. Uh, And a vast majority of the 61 companies that took part in this that had a four-day work week uh, found that employees were less stressed, had better work-life balance, and got all Mm. the same work done, even with shorter hours. And this is one of those issues that I think we all need to consider, that as society becomes more productive and effective and we're able to push more work onto, say, AI or mechanization or work from home or things that make us more efficient, you know, ideally that results in higher pay. Like society is wealthier, we're able to create mm-hmm. more, we all get compensated more. But sometimes that doesn't always work out. You know, uh, funding gets directed to profits or uh, some other outlet. So you'd say, well, if you're not going to pay us more, how about we just work less? Like, isn't that the mm-hmm. promise? Isn't that why we're all here as society becomes more advanced, that we can focus more on ourselves and our families and our lives and our hobbies? rather than mm-hmm. working. So yeah. uh, I am uh, going to say this here, and I've said it before, our national goal should be a 32-hour work week by 2032. Hear, hear. Snap, snap, snap. Round of applause. Like yes. It. Evan, make it happen. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I hope our bosses are listening. <laughs> yeah. Because I am with you on that 100%. I mean, whoever said that five days a week is like the mandate, like you have to do it or else it seems like you're lazy or you're not mm-hmm. working enough. You know, yeah. life has changed since back when this was first established. Oh, Everything yeah. is different yeah. now. No, a century ago, the call was eight hours for work, eight hours for sleep, eight hours for what we will. And I think we need a call for the 21st century 32 hour work week. Let's get a regular three day weekend every week. I think we as people, we as humanity deserve it. Like we've come a long way. We've become mm-hmm. more efficient, more effective, more productive. So let's reap something from that. Let's get a little prize from that. Like we did it. You know, yeah. So what's, what's our reward for working so hard, for being so smart? Like our reward should be three-day weekend. I am here That'll for it. Amen. Me yeah. too. <laughs> Why don't you just end right there? That's it. <laughs> Carly, what about you? So mine is that. A third ward high school is the first to offer AP African American Studies courses in Houston, and it's one of the first in the country to do this also. Mm-hmm. The school is called Young Women's College Preparatory Academy, and it's piloting this new course uh, from the college board. And I'm really excited about this because it's going to like allow students to know way more about the history than the basic things that we learn about. Okay, slaves were brought here and they went through slavery, boom, civil rights movement. You know, like it's kind of just like a big switch over. Like there's a lot that's missing in the middle. And this course is basically going to teach them about that. They're going to teach them about the transatlantic slave trade. They're going to teach them about everything that happened between slavery to the civil rights movement. And I think this is just really cool that they're offering this to juniors, sophomores, seniors, and that they're going to get the opportunity to learn all this history. And it's a beautiful month to learn it also because it's Black History Month. So um, I just thought this was really cool <laughs> and it made me happy that they're like bringing this into high schools, at least like trying it out. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, this sounds wonderful. Uh, as the saying goes, that African-American history is American history. You cannot understand the history of the United States without understanding African-American history. And, and there's so many mm-hmm. aspects, like you said, that get overlooked, whether it's the individual experiences during slavery, whether it's the mm-hmm. rise of a black political movement during Reconstruction that then got cruelly and awfully set back. Uh, whether it's mm-hmm. just the local individuals, I think, who really get glossed over in the national narrative. Like, we should know more mm-hmm. about the people in Houston, in Harris County, in Texas, who rose up uh, during Reconstruction to really try to create a just society. Like, they were there. They so got elected. Mm-hmm. Like, what happened? Yeah. 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 So true. I'm really excited for this, and I'm so glad mm-hmm. it's happening now. That's going to be awesome. My moment of joy was the city of Houston officially opening a new senior living community. I was always worried about our senior citizens and what was going to happen because cost of living is not easy. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. they're not sitting on millions to be able to retire with. So I'm really excited. This is in the second ward area in East Downtown. It opened up on Monday. They did the whole ribbon cutting ceremony and everything. It's a 123 unit. 80% of the units are said to be affordable to seniors whose income is between 30% to 80% of Houston's average median income. So I'm really Mm -hmm. excited that this is happening. And I really do hope that we see more of this, especially for our senior citizens, and that um, we don't have to think of, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Are we going to end up with, you know, this epidemic of senior citizens not finding housing? Mm -hmm. So this is a huge plus for our community. Yeah, I love that. And it's got like programs and amenities for residents, like a swimming pool and, you know, Mm. possibly a gym. We'll see if that opens up. And then easy access to the metro. So it's not like they're completely cut off. That's that's really great. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. Well, Carly, Evan, thank you all so much for joining me to talk about news this week. Thank you, Dina. Thank you, Evan. My pleasure. Talk to you all later. Talk to you later. Bye. That was producer Carlyon Jones and politics contributor Evan Mintz. We'll have links to some of the stories we talked about in our show notes. <laughs> That is all I got for y'all today on CityCast Houston. Thank you for listening. The team behind the show that's producing day in and day out are our producers, Carleon Jones and AKN Mutman. Brooke Lewis is our newsletter writer and lead producer is me, Dina Kispe. Our music is by All the Kimonos. And if you enjoy the show, then let us know because we love to hear feedback. Till then, enjoy the weekend. We'll be back with something hot and fresh for you on Monday. Stay safe, and I will talk to y'all then. Bye! Damn it, I did the same mistake I did yesterday. I ate before I came to track. I keep forgetting. Sorry, Carly, that means I'm going to have a lot of mouth noise. Let me see if I can... All right, here we go.